Tonight's message is entitled, The Deep Surrounded Me, Seaweed Wrapped Around My Head, for you guys who have been paying attention. This has to do with Jonah, uh, as our whole series so far has had to do with Jonah. I want you guys just to take for a second, and um, if you're better at imagining with your eyes closed, then close your eyes. If you're good with your eyes open, you can imagine that way too. I'm better with my eyes closed, so if you guys want to close your eyes, you can. Okay? I want you to imagine waking up in the morning, okay? You wake up, and this alarm goes off, that the really annoying alarm, right? And you roll over in your bed, and you look out the window, and it's one of those dark, rainy, nasty days where the wind's blowing, and it's just it's disgusting out, right? You get up, you stumble out of bed, you go downstairs or across the hall, or I don't know how your houses are set up, you go when you go to get some breakfast, and your favorite breakfast food is all out, whether that be pop tarts or cereal or whatever you like to eat in the morning. There's nothing. You can't. So you have to pick something else. Maybe you just go hungry because your favorite food's not there. So you go in, you get in the shower, time to shower off, get ready for the day. And when you go and you turn on the faucet and you turn it down the hot, no hot water comes out. It's ice cold. But you still take a bath anyway, take a shower anyway, whichever you like, freeze through it, get done, dry off, get ready for your day, and you go out and you hop in your car to leave, whether it be to work or to school, I don't know what your day is, and as you turn the key, you hear that, and the car doesn't start. All right, now, stop. We're going to start over, okay? You wake up in the morning, and a nice, beautiful song wakes you up. Perhaps your favorite worship song wakes you up in the morning, comes on the radio. Beautiful. You roll over in bed, and out the window you hear birds chirping. It's a beautiful day. Oh, it's warm. You can just see the fact that there's already life. You get out of bed, you go down, and your mom already has breakfast prepared for you or someone in your family. Bacon, eggs, sausage, pancakes, everything you possibly like. Omelets, I don't know what you guys like. You get to sit down, you get to eat. You go hop in the shower. There's nothing eventful about the shower because it was actually warm, so nothing to really talk about that. And when you get out, you go to leave, you walk outside, and the sun warms your face as you step out of the front door. And it warms you up. When you go to get into your car, your dad stops you and says, wait a second. You forgot. I bought your new car. It's parked right there. And as you turn and look, it's your favorite convertible, whichever one it may be, on a nice, warm, sunny day. And you hop in, fires right off, and you drive away. All right, now, which one of the two days would you rather prefer? If someone honestly says the first, I say you're a liar, probably. Maybe some of you guys are kind of one of those people who like to be tormented. Most of you guys are going to say the second one, right? Now, my guess is this, okay? You go to school, you go to work, whatever you're going to that day. I have a guess, and you guys tell me if, you're, if I'm wrong, that when you get there, the first day you, when you get there, maybe isn't going to be the happiest, the nicest, the easiest to be around when you get to work or school. Maybe you're a little short when you walk in, and your friend's like, hi, and you're like, hey, won't talk to him. They ask you a question, you're like, whatever. Just kind of out of it. And part of me really thinks that that second day person, I've seen somebody when they get a new car, 
They come in bubbly and happy. How's everyone doing today? Oh, they're excited, right? My guess is, is that if both of you could walk in from both days, I highly doubt that you would follow the same path once you got into work or school or wherever you're going. I think that your days would be changed a little bit, wouldn't they? The way you act, the way you interact with people. And this is really what we're talking about tonight, is the fact that circumstances around us can severely affect the way our life plays out. It can affect our happiness, which is all we've been talking about. It can change the way that our day goes and the way our happiness is manifested. So, circumstances, if I may, are kind of like all the things around you that wrap up your day. They're the things that cradle you, if you will. They're the things that shape the way your life is going to play out today, maybe tomorrow. But circumstances are pretty right now. They're not long-term. Your circumstances are pretty much what's going to happen today. But they can affect things. And many people probably sitting here would say that there's probably some things about their circumstances right now if they look at their life that they'd change if they could. Some things that maybe aren't quite the best, things they don't really like about their circumstances. They'd rather be able to change. Now, in most people's life, when I talk about circumstances, the things that's coming to mind is stuff like, probably one of the biggest ones, money. A lot of times people think of circumstances, they think about money, how much they have, oftentimes paired with a job. Hate your job, love your job, whatever it is with it, oftentimes goes right along with money. The other one a lot of times is your relationships, a lot of times family. Maybe uh, close family, maybe extended family, friends, like we talked about last week. These can kind of be part of your circumstances that can change the way um, that your day goes. Um, not only that, but how about who you are? A lot of people might look at their circumstances and say, you know, I really wish that I was taller, shorter, smaller, bigger, buffer. You know, there's little things about us that we'd want to change. Things about our circumstances, us. And a lot of people probably would say that our circumstances aren't as good as we think they should be. We think our circumstances should be better than what we have right now, don't we? You think many people go through their day and figure, my day should be a lot worse than this? Everyone pretty much wants a better day, don't they? Everyone thinks, I deserve something better than this. I deserve something funner than this in my life. Now, country music, I love. I listen to a lot of country music, actually. Um, pretty pretty decent amounts. I am an absolute Johnny Cash fan. Um, rest in peace, Johnny. I loved him. Great man. I listened to um, a few different artists. Country always gets painted with this, this whining about your dog and truck and wife and always about this negative, this negative connotation. And really, um, it's pretty true. I have to admit that. I think a lot of other music really complains about circumstances, too. I think country gets the bad rap because you can actually hear all the lyrics. A lot of other music still whines about girlfriend leaving you instead of a truck dying. You know, it's something else and your dog or whatever. You know, those stereotypes. But things still, maybe you just don't understand them as well. That's why country kind of gets this bad rap. But um, there's a lot of whiny country music, isn't there? You listen through all the different ones. One of the ones I love. Uh, Gary Allen, Songs About Rain, Holter Song is complaining about how, you know, the woman he used to love just got married and he's just driving around and all that's on the radio is these songs that are sad about rain. There's all these melodramatic things about our, our circumstances around us. They're really important, actually. Um, 
And actually, a lot of times, our circumstances aren't that important to us. This is what's weird. But a lot of times, our circumstances are more important to someone else. What I mean by this is that a lot of times when you look at your life, you're not actually looking at your circumstances. You're looking at other people's around you. Now think about this. A lot of people, I heard a study, they asked people, if you'd rather have $50,000 a year and everyone around you makes $25,000 a year, would you rather have $100,000 a year but everyone around you makes $200,000 a year? Guess what the broad majority picked? The $50,000 where everyone else makes $25,000. What this saying is, is this. A lot of times your circumstances aren't based on your circumstances at all. They're based on the people around you's circumstances and how yours looks in comparison. Very, very often. It's not about what you think and about how happy you are with yours, but it's how they look in comparison with maybe close friends, with people right around you. You know, they get a new car, and you're like, my car sucks. Just yesterday you were happy about your car, but now someone has a new one, yours sucks. You know? Or, you know, someone has something else that goes really good. They inherit money, or their parents are really nice to them in a situation. And in, in comparison with, with your circumstances that day, that's how you kind of grade them. This is actually insanely common. Like I said, people actually would rather have less money, but have more money than the people around them than more money, and have less money than people around them. Weird, isn't it? Maybe some of you guys have fallen into that. Maybe some of you guys think that's crazy. But a lot of times, too, when we look at people around us, we'll see the fact that they have more than us, are happier than us, seemingly. Uh, they're more blessed than us, maybe even, you would say. And they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it at all. And you know what? This is actually scriptural, believe it or not. In Matthew 5, 43 through 45, this is what it says. It says, You've heard that the law of Moses says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of the Father of heaven. And this is the part that's really important. It says, For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on, he sends rain on the just and the unjust too. It says the fact that God takes and he gives blessings to the people who deserve it and the people who don't deserve it. He gives it to both. There was a Staves Acre song, one of my other favorite bands, a little bit harder music, and the chorus of it was the fact that he says, I can't tell you why good people suffer. I can't tell you why the bad ones run free. God showers blessings on the righteous and the wicked. He says, all that I know is that that covers me. Interesting. God gives great things to people who deserve it, which might be you when you think in your mind, think, well, you know, I really think that I try to, I try to do good for God. And I deserve blessings. And there's people who don't do anything for God, and God still gives them blessings. That's exactly scriptural that that happens. Maybe a lot of times it's for us. Kind of hurts a little bit. So when I think about bad circumstances, I don't know if you join with me, but my very first thought in bad circumstances in a Bible character, does anyone come to mind? Job. My very first thought, when I thought about bad circumstances, the very first thought was Job. And we had a series a long time back in Steadfast about Job. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Job. It is right before Psalms. And I want you to go towards the beginning of Job. This guy is a man of bad circumstances. 
So if I can give you the rundown real fast. Job is this guy who uh, does a lot for God. He's a really pure man in God's eyes. Satan ends up coming up and talking to God. Walks in and says, how you doing, God? God says, not too bad, I suppose. I don't really know how that all went. But he says to him, have you noticed my servant Job? God brings up Job's name. And Satan basically throws down this gauntlet saying the fact that if it wasn't for all your blessings that you gave Job, he wouldn't serve you. So God says, you know what? He says, basically, I'll take that challenge. You take away what Job has, and you see the fact that he'll still love me. So Job goes through some suffering, some very bad circumstances. If I can give you guys some examples here, let me show you this. Um, in Job 1, okay, starting in 13, this is where we want to start at. You guys have it? Job 1, 13 says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine, at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who, who had escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who had escaped to come tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept out of the desert, striking the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you this. At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Okay. I said it before when we, when we studied this text. This is like kicking the face to the extreme of, of, of circumstances. Literally, it says while the person is still talking to him. So if we take this in context, in probably about two minutes, Job went from having a whole bunch and being a rich man in this area to having nothing. Let's say about two minutes. That is a lot to take, isn't it? Literally, while one servant is telling him, you just lost all your camels, you just lost all your, your donkeys, all sheep, all this different stuff. If you guys understand that, nowadays, that's like our possessions. That's our money. Back then, donkeys, camels, that was how they had money. That was, that's what made them who they were. If you had a lot of animals, that meant that you were a wealthy person. That's like someone coming to you and telling you the fact that your house just burned down, your car just got blown up, all the money you had in the bank, it just disappeared. All these crazy things that make you feel comfortable in who you are are gone. And then to top all that off, he gets this messenger that says the fact that every one of your kids is dead. Wow. Bad circumstances. I mean, that's wild. That's someone who I think that really changed Job's path, didn't it? On where he was probably going. That probably shifted him and made him kind of stop and think for a little bit. Bad circumstances. Not only that, but of course, with what we're speaking about, we'll come back to that with Job. But we've been talking about Jonah. And Jonah had bad circumstances in his life, too. We talked about the fact how he ran away from God's calling. He got in a boat, and what happened? The sea went crazy. God started up this huge storm. He just about got shipwrecked. Then he ended up getting thrown overboard by his shipmates to save themselves. And he got swallowed up by a big, huge fish, and he was stuck in his belly for three days. Bad circumstances. I don't know what it's like to be stuck in a stomach for three days. 
I don't want to find out. I will give you this, which is really interesting. A lot of people take and say the fact that the story of Jonah is just that, a story. They say it can't be true. First of all, there's no way someone could live in the stomach for three days. You know what? I completely agree with you. It's stated in the Bible as a miracle of God, the fact that Jonah lived in, lived in the fish's stomach for three days. However, I really want to tell you guys, um, with the story of Jonah, which might kind of change your mind on it, the fact that it really is a true story. It isn't just a fairy tale. And in fact, if you really want to argue with it, you have to actually argue with Jesus Christ. Because in his ministry, he actually talked about Jonah. He said this. It says, uh, Jesus replied, Only an evil, faithless generation would ask for a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give then is the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so I, the Son of Man, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So if you want to say the fact that Jonah is just a fairy tale, then you have to basically call Jesus a liar. Because he stated it as fact. Not only that, but if you look in the Old Testament, they actually talk about Jonah as being a prophet in a couple of the old books. I don't know if it's Samuel or Kings or one of the old books, but they actually talk about Jonah as a prophet. So really a true story. He really was in those circumstances. No thanks. I have to deal with my own circumstances. I don't feel like being caught in a slimy, acidy stomach. No light in three days. Doesn't sound like fun. Ugh. So our circumstances in our life, just like these, can literally be devastating to who we are. Um, oftentimes people are asked, how are you doing today? And a lot of times they get these replies like, I'm holding in there. Well, I'm, I'm still here. Or uh, at least I'm alive. A lot of people's circumstances aren't that great. And it really shows through in who they are. It does change how happy they are. Maybe changes the way they act. You guys have seen friends who probably come in and you can tell it's a bad day. It really changes in the demeanor, doesn't it? Their whole happiness, their face shows something different when their day's been bad. So very, very often though, however, I'm sad to say, your circumstances aren't going to be easily changeable. A lot of times our circumstances are pretty hard to change. You can't just twist them around and make them what you want. However, I will tell you the fact that you can change how you deal with them and how you react to them. And that's really what's most important. You can't always change everything, but you can always change yourself. So, this is the deal. I want you to take a hold of this. If you have notes, I want you to write this down. Because it's important. Something to remember. It's going to be something that you're going to want to remember in the future. Okay? During all these times when these circumstances are hard and all these troubles... Uh, you guys, look, you're all grabbing stuff. You're going to act like it's built up. If it's not that great, you're going to be let down now. Here's what it is, okay? You aren't your circumstances, okay? You aren't your circumstances. And I'm going to go on to explain this more, okay? There's two major things that I want to tell you about your circumstances. And one of the first things that goes exactly with the fact that you are not your circumstances is that you are not ever defined by your circumstances, they might affect you, but the things that surround you, the things that can change your perspective, the, all these circumstances, they never change who you are. Okay? They don't change you. They don't change um, what your loves are, what your passions are. That's not what makes you who you are. Your circumstances isn't what does that. It's not what makes you you. Just because you have stuff around you like whether good circumstances or bad circumstances, it doesn't make you who you are. 
You're the one who decides what you're going to be like. Now, I want to tell you, and it's true, freaky, but you don't have to have everything. You don't have to have every friend. You don't have to have the best circumstances to still be happy right where you are right now. You can be happy even in the midst of your problems. There's a uh, a scripture in Philippians 4.12. You guys want to turn there? If you don't, it's cool. And this is actually Paul writing. And Philippians is one of his many letters that he sent to the different churches. What's cool about Philippians is that Paul wrote this while he was in chains in jail. A few of his different letters he wrote from jail. Um, when he's been locked up for spreading the spreading the gospel. In this one, he's locked up, and uh, he's writing to Philippians to tell them about their church, help them out. And picture this, okay? The man's probably been beat. He's been chained. He's locked down. He doesn't know necessarily when he's getting out. And these are the words that he pens in Philippians 4.12. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. That's pretty sweet. Paul is in jail, and he writes the fact that, you know what, I can live with nothing, everything, full stomach, empty stomach, whatever the circumstances, because I found this secret. The secret. What is this secret that Paul has? If you guys have watched Oprah Winfrey lately, have you heard about the secret? The secret? Have you heard about it? Oh, I have to tell you about it then. All right. There's this new teaching, and it's called The Secret. If you hear about it, you'll know now, because I'll tell you about it. And the secret is this, that the whole universe is energy waves. Yes. And if you want to have success and happiness in your life, all you got to do is just send out positive energy waves. And the universe bounces those positive energy waves right back at you. That is the secret. Yeah. You take and you're happy. And I'm just, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to put out these positive energy waves. And the universe has to reply and make you happy. That sounds like a whole lot of hooey, as far as I'm concerned. And people are selling that and making lots of money on it. When I, I watch the people who are, sell, who are selling the secret who do all this, they talk about all the money they had, I realized, you know what the real secret is? Selling people something that doesn't really cost anything, like the secret. You know how to make millions of dollars? Go tell people how to, how to get the secret, because there really isn't any secret. It's just making something up and selling it. That's the secret. You guys want to make money? That's how you do it. Just make something up and sell it to people. It works. But the secret that we're talking about isn't the Oprah Winfrey's secret vibrations into the atmosphere The secret actually is told to us by Paul in verse 13, which comes right afterwards. Paul says, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength that I need. That's the secret that he's talking about. Now, how is Jesus this, this secret that makes him content in every situation? How can this be? And the very first thing is obviously salvation in Jesus Christ. And for those of you guys who do, and for those of you guys who don't understand salvation in Jesus Christ, It's the fact that our sins have weighed us down and made us dirty in God's eyes, and we are deserving of hell in accordance to what God's word is. Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, and his blood paid for every single one of our sins in our past and in our future. 
And Jesus says that if we believe in him and we make him the Lord of our lives, it washes us completely clean. We no longer carry that sin with us. And when we die, we get to go to a place called heaven where we get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and in happiness. Pretty amazing story, and it's the truth. I have salvation. A lot of people in this room have salvation. They've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What this does is this gives you an understanding and a perspective. And this is why he can see that he can be happy in everything. I want to explain this to you. I believe that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Eternity is a really big number, right? It's huge. Now, I want to ask you guys, how much, what percentage of our life do we spend on earth if we spend eternity in heaven? What percentage of our life do we spend here on earth? Some of you guys might have heard me use this before. A fraction of infinity. Do you know what a fraction of infinity is? Anything divided by infinity equals zero. So if I believe that I'm going to spend eternity, infinity time in heaven, that means that the amount of time I spend on earth is zero. Now that's pretty wild, isn't it? Well, there has to be time. I'm living right now. It has to be something, right? But no, not in accordance with infinity. Infinity is forever. So anything divided by forever is nothing. So my life here is literally nothing in comparison to my life after death with Jesus Christ. This can change your perspective a little bit, can it? The fact that he says, I can be happy whether I have a full stomach or an empty stomach, whether I have everything or nothing, because, man, he realizes the fact that this life is going to be gone in an instant, in just a breath. It kind of changes your perspectives a little bit when you think about it in that way. It changes your perspectives a lot if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can think about eternity, obviously, in the opposite sense of not being a beautiful end, but a terrible end. As well as, obviously, the saving relationship with Jesus Christ, which is going to change your look on situations, circumstances, tremendously. Everyone can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have one, come talk to me. Come talk to someone. Learn about how to come into a relationship with Jesus. As well as having a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a lot to be said about how we live our lives and how we spend our time, our mind, here on earth. And what I want to tell you is the fact that you don't always have to dwell on your bad in your life. Very often as humans, that's what we do. Everything that's bad is what we spend most of our time thinking about. Everything that's good is kind of just like a sidelight to it. There's a few things that make us happy. Everything else just seems bad. God has blessed each and every one of us in certain ways. I'm a firm believer of that. It says that God showers blessings on righteous and wicked. So right now you can say, I don't even care about God. God's still giving you blessings in your life. So a lot of times we actually look through these blessings at all of our problems. So I encourage you to do this. When you get home tonight, or if you have time this weekend, or whenever you have time, sit down and list out things that make you happy. And literally, this can be everything from the smallest of things to the biggest of things. Um, free things to very expensive things. List them out, and you know what happens is, is you realize that there are a whole lot of free things that I already have that make me tremendously happy right now. There's a lot of things that I wish I could have, a lot of things that I know will make me happy if I could get them, afford them, earn them. But there's a lot of things right now that are free and are already in my possession that make me tremendously happy. Today, I got out of school. I got to jump in my truck 
I got to put down the window and drive home. That makes me happy. I love being able to have the window down and have the air just blowing into the truck, feel nice warm weather. Make me tremendously happy. I got home and my little orange kitten, Runchkin, was sitting on the front porch. And I got to go out and sit down. And he sat on my lap and I got to pet him. He's so cute. He's like this big, tiny little thing. I got to sit there and pet him. And I realized that this is something that makes me happy. It's something that God has blessed me with that I didn't have to earn. I didn't have to do anything. And it's completely free. And it's something that I can be happy. There's circumstances that are really good in your life. But you have to take and realize that they're there. So list out everything. Stupid stuff like that. I'm happy when I get to spend time with my animal. When I get to drive with the windows down. You know, when you get to spend a little bit of time with a, with a friend. We talked about how important friends are. That's free. And God's blessed you with it. So I tell you, start to dwell on the things that you love, the things that make you happy, and soon you'll find that the negative seems to be less and less. These negative circumstances seem to just kind of be sidelines around all this awesome stuff that you find that you have in your life. Um, I want you to realize this. In your life, both are going to come, positive and negative. This is a promise from God. In Ecclesiastes 7.14, the Bible actually says, Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. That way you will realize that nothing is certain in this life. So good times, enjoy them. Bad times, realize the fact that that comes from God too and you're going to have both in your life. But it's being happy in both, like I said, finding the happiness that you already have in your life. Because I know that everyone does already have happiness in their life. Not only that, but I tell you that you're better off happy with contentment right here than those people who are always striving for something else. And it's a scriptural backup to what I said in 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 9. It says, After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into this world, and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. It says right here in the Bible that if you're happy, life is going to seem easy when you can actually find happiness. But those people who are always struggling and striving, they'll turn their back on almost anything to try to get enjoyment, to try to make their circumstances better. Family, friends, faith, all of that. It doesn't seem as important. So I tell you that you're better off being content with what you have now than being those people who always want something else. The second thing, you aren't your circumstances. The second thing, you are not bound by your circumstances. What this means is that your circumstances aren't forever. They're not something that's going to hold you down for the rest of your life. They're not something that can't ever be changed. Better days are going to come in your life. Don't put your car in park and just figure that's where it's going to stay. you got to keep on going. What I mean by this is that for every single bad circumstance, there's something in the opposite. For believers, for people who understand this, there's a big one. It says in the Bible that for all this bad stuff, man, when you get to heaven, there's going to be the balance. And this is actually uh, this is actually stated in Luke 6, if you guys want to go there, 20 through 26. And this is actually, they, they call it the Beatitude sometimes. Um, and it's really great. This is talking all about the balance of how God is going to reward those who don't have what's right and how the people who do have what's right, that's pretty much all they're going to get. It starts in Luke 6.20. It says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, 
God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is given to you. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for the time will come when you will laugh with joy. God blesses you who are hated and excluded and mocked and cursed, because you are identified with me, the Son of Man. When that happens, rejoice. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were also treated that way by your ancestors. What sorrows await for you who are rich? For you have your only happiness right now. What sorrows await you who are satisfied and prosperous now? For a long time of awful hunger is before you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh carelessly? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrows awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. What God's saying is the fact that eternity after death is the ultimate balance of all that bad circumstances. When people have to suffer here on earth, he says there's going to be a reward for every single thing when you get to heaven. All that time that you spent suffering, all the mourning, all the wailing, all the crying, all the pain, all the torment, he says the fact that you're going to be re rewarded for all of that. And the people who aren't here on earth, the people who don't care about God, who get all that play, who get to be happy, get to have all the money, he says, man, there's going to be a lot worse waiting for you on the other side. So there's this ultimate balance that we understand. This can kind of make hard times easier to deal with because you realize the fact that sooner or later, you know, you're serving something bigger. You have that long-term approach. Um, I tell you this, though, too, with this. What God's saying here is that if you're a Christian and you say you're going to follow him, he's promising you pain. And he's promising you hard times. He says the fact that when you get to the other side, there's going to be a lot of happiness. There's going to be a lot of joy. But people who tell you about salvation and tell you that's going to be the easiest thing in your life are liars. What God is saying is the fact that if you follow him, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be tough times. People are going to make fun of you. But the fact that you're serving something better, that when you cross over to the other side, you're going to be rewarded for every single one of those things. I know. Also, I believe, and I believe the Bible proves, that people go through these hard, low times in their life, a lot of times before God does something great. I believe the fact that God doesn't want you to stay in your current situation of negative circumstances the rest of your life. I believe that throughout history, God has taken those whose circumstances are poor, those whose circumstances are hard, and he's turned them and changed them and used them for something great. And I want to give you an example about this. There's a guy called David in the Bible. Some of you guys have probably heard about him. David was just a little boy. He's the son of Jesse, and he was a shepherd. He went around, and he took care of the flocks. Um, we talked about him chasing off lions and stuff like that. He was a pretty good shepherd. And uh, Samuel was actually told to go and to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king of Judah. Pretty wild. And he goes and he tells Jesse that one of your sons is going to be anointed. And he parades all of his sons, all these boys, and one's really handsome and this one's strong. And every single one that goes by Samuel, he says, this isn't him, this isn't him, this isn't him. And they get to the whole list and he says, none of these are them. He says, you don't have any more sons. And Jesse says, no, I have one more, but he's out watching the flocks. Samuel says, bring him on in. So they bring him in, and uh, David's just a little squirt. They said he was good looking, but he's just a little boy. And as soon as Samuel saw him, he felt from God, his spirit, he said that this is the one, and he said this is the one who's going to be king. And he anointed him, and he told him, you're going to be the king of, king of Judah. Well, he didn't just go get to become king right then. 
There's a lot of stuff in between. He ended up becoming a musician for Saul, who was the current king. The shepherd, he kind of gets moved up. He's a musician for Saul. Then, as most of you guys might know David, this huge man named Goliath ends up throwing out this insane challenge. He's a massive man, seven foot something. He says, you know, you send one of your men from, you know, from your side, and we'll come and we'll fight together. And David goes out there, and he kills this man with a sling and a stone, this huge giant. Smacks him in the head with it, says it sinks into his temple, guy falls down. That didn't kill uh, Goliath, those of you guys who haven't read the story detailed. He actually picks up Goliath's huge sword and cuts his head off, then carries it back to Saul. It's the gross part of the story that boys like. Pretty cool, though. He kills Goliath, and then later on in life, he becomes the king of Judah, just as it was promised him. This boy who was literally a shepherd boy, who followed around sheep and took care of them, who was nothing, he ends up becoming king of Judah. Not only that, but if you go through the Bible today and you read Psalms, a bunch of them are from David. His words live on how many thousands of years after his life. God took something whose circumstances probably were just mediocre. If David would have looked at his circumstances back when he was just a shepherd, he would have said, you know what, I'm probably going to be a shepherd the rest of my life. Not really that amazing circumstances. And God shifts, and he takes him from that to something that's amazing. How about another one? How about Moses? You guys remember the story of Moses? He was just a, he was a, uh, a Jew. And Pharaoh sends out that he's going to kill all the kids, all the children. His mom takes him, puts him in a little basket. She seals it up, and she floats him down the Nile River to keep him from getting captured by Pharaoh. Just so happens as it is fate and how God wants to do it, Pharaoh's daughter comes up and finds this basket, and she raises Moses in Pharaoh's temple, right underneath Pharaoh. That's wild. He just said he wanted to kill all the babies. She finds him because she's Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, who's just a, just a plain old... You know, plain old Jew, he would have just been normal with everyone else. He gets raised in the temple of Pharaoh, educated, learned, all this different stuff. Crazy what God does for him. He ends up killing a man, gets scared, takes off running into the wilderness. And while he's out in the wilderness, a sheep gets lost, and he finds a burning bush. And God tells him that he's going to go back, and he's going to free his entire people from Pharaoh's grip and deliver them into the promised land. Wow. He's just a plain old guy. He said that he had, a, he had a problem speaking. He even told God, he says, I can't speak. He says, I, I can't do this. I have a, either a lisp or I, I have an impediment where I can't do this. God says, no, you're still going to go. And they go back and forth, and he finally says, you know what, you can take Aaron, your brother, with him. Moses goes back. You know some of the story maybe with him fighting with Pharaoh. They deliver all the people of Israel out of Egypt, cross the Jordan River. You probably heard about that where the whole thing parts. And they go through it, and it crashes down, kills Pharaoh's men, delivers them into the promised land. This man literally, it says in the Bible, saw God face to face. He said, no one else has ever done this. But he got to go up on the mountain, and he would get to look into God's face. He said he'd come down, and his face would literally glow with the radiance of God. He's just an average man. His circumstances probably didn't look that amazing, did they? His parents, maybe? When she put him in a basket and figured... He's going to be killed, or I can give him a chance just by sending him down the river because there's nothing else I can do. Circumstances didn't look great, did they? But God took and he changed them to be something amazing. Here's one that obviously I think all you guys know. What about Jesus Christ? He was born to a carpenter in the stall of a uh, of like a manger, you know, a, it, 
it's a farm, basically, a stall where hay's laid down and animals are laying around. And he's the king, the Lord, the savior of everyone on earth, God coming to earth, and he comes in something so frail and weak and something from not an amazing background. Everyone expected that he'd come and he'd be a king. He'd come from a, you know, he'd come from the king and he'd do something amazing here on earth. And he's born in a stall. And uh, he's raised by just an average family, a carpenter. He becomes something amazing, becomes something great, the savior of the world. God has a way of taking something that seems basic, seems simple in our circumstances, and then changing us to do something great. Take us back to the story which we've been following for the past three weeks. How about Jonah? You guys want to turn to Jonah real fast? It's hard to find. I understand it's a small book. Right before it is uh, Obadiah, I believe, isn't it? No. Yes, Obadiah right before it. Right after it is Micah. Can you find it? And I want you guys to go. We just talked all about... (coughs) Oh, excuse me. Sorry. All about how Jonah had been stuck in this whale. He got ate up, swallowed, three days spent in this whale. But then, after he's delivered, which we're going to talk about, in chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh. And I want to read this for you because it's really cool how God uses him. Understand, Jonah's circumstances were horrible. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim it, and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed forty more days, and Nineveh would be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. You see what I'm saying? Jonah went from a horrible circumstance to going back to Nineveh, where he's supposed to preach, and literally an entire city changes because of what he says. He says God's going to destroy it, and an entire city turns around, falls on their face before God, and gets their life right in correspondence with God. He takes something where it's in in the worst, and he takes it to something that's great. And I truly believe this is what God wants to do in our lives, too. God has a plan for your life. We talked about this two weeks ago. The fact that God has something really, really great for your life that probably you don't even see yet. And the fact that our circumstances can be conquered and can be changed so that we can be victorious over our circumstances, through our circumstances. Jonah actually gives us a great insight into how this is going to be done, over how we can can conquer these circumstances and come through them. And it's actually in Jonah 2, if you flip right back. And this is all from the inside of the belly. During the three days, he takes and he, he petitions this prayer to God. And in it, we see some amazing, uh, some amazing insight into what it means to, to come through our circumstances. It starts, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthy, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So, the end to, uh, to Jonah's horrible circumstances here comes with a fish puking him up on dry land, which still kind of stinks as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't like that either. Um, but Jonah really gives us this insight to conquering through our bad circumstances, and it's really in three verses back-to-back that I want you to look. And the very first thing he says, it starts in, uh, in 9, and he says, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. You know what he's saying? Is he saying the fact that even in the midst of all my circumstances, even in the midst of all this hard times, the fact that I'm still going to praise you because you're amazing. I'm still going to praise you because of what you've done good in my life. So even when all the hard times come, you're still going to praise God for everything great that he's done for you and because he deserves it anyway. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 makes a good point at this. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The other thing he says is, uh, right after that, he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. What this means is that he's going to actually do what God told him to do. What this means in our life, cutting out sin from our life, eliminating the bad, and striving for the good. That's something that we vowed to do to God when we ask for salvation. The fact that we're going to turn away from sin and come closer to him. And the third thing that he says is he says, salvation comes from the Lord. And what this means is that you just understand the fact that he is God. He is the Lord. It actually says in Romans 6.23, which is one of our power verses in fusion, it's awesome. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What I'm saying here with these three things is that In the midst of your circumstances, if you're praising God, if you're continuing to struggle to be the best person who you possibly can in Christ, to eliminate sin from your life, and if you understand that He is God and that He is your salvation, that God will deliver you and God will pull you through all the hard circumstances, no matter how bad they seem. So I want you to understand really two things tonight. One, like I said, you aren't your circumstances. And two, that if you live like this, you can experience happiness wherever you are. And if you live like this, God can deliver you through any of your circumstances. Thank you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I pray to you, God, that you would just be um, the overshadowing uh, love in our life amidst all these circumstances, Jesus. Uh, just so often they seem to crowd out everything else. The circumstances seem to win out over everything else that you've done in our life. I pray to you, God, that you would just show us all the blessings that you've given to us, that you'd show us how happy our lives really are because of your amazing hand and your amazing work in our life. I do pray to you, Jesus Christ, that we would just live um, we would just live our lives as, as Jonah did in this prayer, Lord God, that we would just uh, continue to show love to you, to praise you, 
to cut sin from our lives, Jesus Christ, and just to know that you are God. And I know, Lord, that you have amazing plans for each one of us, that you'll deliver us from our circumstances, Lord God, and you'll make us content and happy within them. And it's in your precious name that I pray, Jesus Christ.